Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. The ISO with Dan Dickow and SB Live Sports, brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Welcome to today's episode of the ISO with myself, your host, Dan Dickow, and SB Live Sports and the Believe Podcast Network. Conversations with experts in the field of sports today's is a tremendous guest, somebody that I was going to be teammates with, but ended up being a player for him as he transitioned into a coaching career, 16-year NBA veteran, multiple championships at the NBA level, Avery Johnson. Avery, it's been a while since we've talked. How was life? Dan, life is good uh, here uh, in Dallas. Um, relocated here to Dallas after my four years stint uh, coaching uh, at the University of Alabama. And uh, it's been a really good transition for my wife and I. We're empty nesters. Uh, my daughter's a 28-year-old, first-year MBA student. And then my son is 25. Uh, he, he lives in Arizona and he has his own little one-man band sports marketing firm. So we're, we've relocated here to Dallas. I've pivoted into uh, commercial real estate with my own commercial real estate fund. And um, a lot of exciting things are, are happening um, in spite of what's going on in our world with, with this COVID virus. You know, I remember years ago when, when I referenced the player and coach relationship, I remember your son being around the Mavericks a little bit at that time. My son's uh, are 14 and eight right now. And I, I know the joy that I have being in the gym with them. I saw it with you all those years ago. You coached your son at Alabama, if I'm correct. What was that dynamic like and did you enjoy it? Well, overall, it was a tremendous experience to spend time, you know, basically every day I get a chance to see my son. I watch him grow and develop like the other student athletes. Uh, and, you know, when he had some really good games for us, you, you celebrate it as a coach, and then you also think about what a proud dad you are. Uh, but there, there's also some challenges uh, because, you know, fans may think you favor your son more than other kids or, or you know, maybe even sometimes parents. And then I have to, you know, deal with his mom every day because I'm married to his mom and she's cooking all the meals and, and uh, so it's, it's, it's both could be joy and pain, but overall it's, it, it was an incredible experience. We, we had a lot of uh, fun times and, uh, you know, outstanding moments, uh, both with him as a player and a student athlete. He graduated from Alabama, both as an undergraduate and, and got received his master's degree. So it was, uh, it was something that I enjoyed, but something that I'm, I wouldn't be looking forward to doing again. <laughs> I can imagine there was a lot of stress from a lot of different angles with that. You were used to being the person that had to handle stress at the NBA level as a point guard for 16 years. You had to guard every, anybody from, you know, Kevin Johnson to Mark Price to Tim Hardaway, Allen Iverson, John Stockton, another name that might come to mind. Who was the hardest matchup for you? Because you saw a blend of the late 80s all the way to the early 2000s where the game really started changing. Yeah, and, and you, you brought up some really, um, you know, Hall of Fame guys that I had to guard. And, 
And it, it was a nightmare, you know, having to deal with those guys for, you know, 48 minutes, you know, or 40 of a 48 minute games because, you know, we played a lot of minutes and we didn't miss games back then. Uh, but it's hands down uh, John Stockton. Uh, he, he, he was a guy that um, just didn't get much sleep the night before when you had to go up against him. Just his toughness, his basket, high basketball IQ, uh, the way he can dominate a game by not even scoring, but with, with his playmaking ability. Uh, he was very physical. You know, he set hard screens. Uh, you know, he was a yeah, 80 or, or 90, uh, 50, 40 guy, you know, the 180 guy. He's going to shoot 90% from the line, shoot 50% from the field, and 40% from the three-point line. So he was that th third-level player that um, you just couldn't game plan for. And, and playing him in Salt Lake City and the crowd gets in the game and, uh, and you know, a couple of cheap shots. <laughs> <laughs> and holding and grabbing that we had to deal with also. So it's definitely John Stockton. That's so fun to hear. I, I've become good friends with John because I live in Spokane. We're, we're Gonzaga guys. I typically see him once or twice a week down at the gym, and he's still that same way. He doesn't miss mid-range jump shots. He still <laughs> climbs up into the young guys and, and sets those hard screens, and he doesn't back down. So yeah. I'll pass that message on for you to John. I, I got one great story for you. Uh, you know, because I was coaching at Alabama, I would go to all these different AAU tournaments on doing recruiting season. And I'll never forget, um, I walked in the gym in, in Atlanta and um, I looked across the court and, man, that's John Stockton coaching the AAU team. And uh, like, man, that is John. It's like, man, he still looks good. But after the game, was over, I was walking in my car, and you're not supposed to communicate with coaches or parents or prospective student athletes. So I'm walking in my car and I hear somebody say, Avery, you're not gonna say hello to me? <laughs> I turned around and I didn't know whether to elbow him for all of the elbow shots that I took or, or shake his hand. So I said, hey, you know the rules, I'll shake your hand very fast briefly and say hi and then I'm gone but I'll never forgive you for all of those elbows so he he got a big laugh out of that so it's, okay. we're we're in our 50s and we're still remembering things that happened you know 20 years ago that's a great story as a point guard a lot of times people describe a player like yourself as a player on uh, as a coach on the floor early in your career did you always feel you would get into coaching or did just did it just kind of evolve that way no, earlier in my career, I did. It started when I was in college back in the late 1980s when I played for my Hall of Fame coach, Coach Ben Job, who passed away three years ago. Uh, you know, he was a guy that allowed me to coach some practices and uh, gave me a lot of freedom uh, as a junior and senior in, in, in college when I, when I uh, led the nation in assists two years in a row. Uh, and I think that continued to cultivate as I uh, embarked on an NBA career and you had a chance to play for guys like Larry Brown, Greg Popovich, Don Nelson. Those guys gave me an opportunity to think more out of the box, spend more time with them behind the scenes, and continue to grow in the craft of coaching, even though uh, I was still uh, – 
currently playing as a player. So I, I think because of my relationships with those coaches, they allowed me to spread my wings. Even sometimes towards the end of my career, Don Nelson allowed me to coach some practices. And um, when I was an assistant coach with the Mavericks, I, I had a chance to coach 10 games when he um, went and uh, had, had surgery and that built a confidence and more of a rapport with Mark Cuban to uh, figure out that when Don Nelson decided to resign or retire, that I would be the next guy up. I was a part of that Mavericks team when you decided to retire as a player and move into coaching. How difficult was that for you? Because very few players have the opportunity to make that decision. Usually it's made for you, and it's a tough adjustment because I know for a fact I, I no longer had offers to play, and yeah. it was frustrating. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think we played an uh, inter-squad scrimmage game in Fort Worth, I think at TCU. And, you know, I had signed on as a player coach, and Mark Cuban just gave me an opportunity to basically sign a minimum contract like a player, but also function like a coach. And um, I got in that inner squad game and Devin Harris just basically ran circles around me. And I felt he made me feel like I was 60 years old. And I went home and I couldn't sleep at night. And I got up at five o'clock in the morning and I said, man, this is it, I'm, it's done. And I called Mark Cuban, I called Don Nelson and they said, okay, you can, retire as a coach and I remember doing that in October of 2004 and um, I, I was a full-time coach and the rest is history. You know I remember that because again I was on that team and yeah. I remember uh, that inner squad scrimmage and I remember the, the potential that Devin Harris had as a young player how quick he was how explosive he was you know and I remember Jason Terry being a, a mentor to him I remember you being a mentor to him but I remember the, that day because, and I, I may have shared this with you in the past, Avery, we had a, you called a meal after practice and kind of shared with the guys that you were going to move in to a transition coaching role. Mm -hmm. And you felt like it was something that was on your heart and it was time. Mm -hmm. And I remember that being so freeing to me because I remember you looking me in the eyes saying you wanted other guys to make sure that they had the opportunity to extend their career. Right. And lo and behold, your decision opened up the opportunity for myself to make the Mavericks roster that year because I had a good training camp, but I was the odd man out. And so face-to-face yeah. -face through Zoom, I know we've talked about this before. I want to thank you yeah. because no, you extended my career. No, I don't know. No, you're welcome. But, you know, I enjoyed spending quality time with you because we had a chance to not only talk about basketball, talk about our faith and talk about family, which we know is significantly important to both of us. And I remember how emotional you were at the, we were actually having uh, lunch. It was at Al Bernays, a local steakhouse here in Dallas in, in a back private room. That's where we were. And I just remember, you know, just knowing that um, that decision gave more life to your career. And um, that's, that's what it's all about. And every time other folks have shared that story that you've shared with them, that, that actually really makes me feel good. Well, I appreciate it because you're somebody that I looked up to while I was a high school player uh, in a, in, 
in addition to some of the players that I mentioned, because you were smaller, you were undersized, you had to overcome the odds, which I had to do to make it to that level in my career. But you also had to overcome the odds because you went undrafted. Where did the belief and the pride in yourself and your game come from at a young age? You know, Dan, I, I think, and, and one of the things on TV, whether, especially on CBS, a lot of times they don't want you to say, I think. They want you to own it. Yeah. So let me just own this for a second. The belief came from proving the people that really believed in me right and proving my critics wrong. And there were a lot of folks that thought it was justified that I was undrafted because I went to a small school, a school in the SWAC. People don't even know that what the SWAC stand for. It was an HBCU school. We weren't on national TV, even though we made it to the NCAA tournament, you know, two years in a row. But I, I, I just had that fire and that drive in me. And then also when I became a Christian, that was another turning point because I felt like I didn't want to be perceived as a soft Christian that, that because I changed my life from a spiritual standpoint, that that was going to hold me back. But that even gave me more power and drive and determination to play hard because I didn't want to also let that community down that I was representing. I love that answer. And a lot of it, uh, you know, I've got a faith uh, background myself and, and I've always felt like Jesus Christ is the epitome of an example of an athlete of how we kept pushing through, pushing through, never giving up. And so I love how you describe that it kind of as part of your intrinsic personality as an athlete. When you look at the whole of your career, 16 years, you played on some terrific teams, some really good players. If you had to start a team today, which teammate of yours would you pick as the number one pick? Oh, Tim Duncan. <laughs> Tim Duncan. It's a no-brainer. It's not even close. <laughs> Tim Duncan. I mean, he, he, in my opinion, is one of the top ten players of all time. Uh, this guy was truly amazing. I, I mean, just the big fundamental. He had the passing ability, the scoring ability, the work ethic unbelievable teammate, very coachable, smart, drive, uh, came through at the biggest times on the biggest stage. And I love David Robinson, but the guy I would start my team with would be Tim Duncan. And then, you know, we would transition to David, uh, who is an incredible human being. He's, he's you know, his post NBA career has been as successful as his NBA career now that he's in private equity working on his Ford fund and he's been one of my behind the scenes mentor in the private equity that I'm in right now so uh, just having a chance to work with those two guys and and I would say coming up in third place which I don't even know if it would be a legitimate third place they could all be 1A 1B and 1C would be Dirk Nowitzki <laughs> you know, just the, the German, the German nightmare. He's just, this guy, man, could shoot it from anywhere. Uh, unbelievable, the coach, the faithful, loyal teammate, 20, 
20-year career with the same team, you know, all three of those guys, you know, just n- never put on another uniform. That that's that says something. So yeah, you can't have an opportunity with, to play with those guys was was incredible. You can't go wrong with any of them, yeah. um, for sure. Uh, the short stint I had in Dallas, I was blown away by Dirk's, you know, uh, work ethic. I was blown away by his preparedness, his coaches, his coachability, yeah. and the fact that he was such a great teammate. You don't always see that with your quote unquote star player, but you did with Dirk. And I have this obviously being from a, in the NBA network, I saw that from David Robinson and Tim Duncan Mm -hmm. as well. I know you don't have a lot of time coach. You got a lot of business dealings going on each day, but wanted to ask you really quickly about you move from playing to coaching. You're a head coach in the NBA for, for two different teams. You got the Mavericks and the Nets, and then you go to the college game. Most people don't realize how big an adjustment it is between those two games. They are the same sport, but quite frankly, in my view, it's a different game. Did you enjoy one more than the other, and what were your experiences like? You're right, and they both are different. You know, it's both both or round balls, getting in a 10-foot basket, playing on the same size court. But uh, it's just a different world. Um, you know, the NBA is, is what I knew. Um, you know, playing in the NBA, relationships. And college was a different deal because you, you're coaching student-athletes. Kids have to go to class. Um, you, the, the games, you play fewer games. Uh, the practices are longer. Uh, you, you, you're basically responsible for these kids 365 days a year, 24 hours a day, um, you know, tutoring, compliance, donors, you know, dealing with an administration, a board, uh, attending other events to support the coaches in the other varsity sports, football, baseball, soccer, Um, you're recruiting all the time, not only your players, but then the coaches from the other sports want us, want you to meet with their recruits to try to help them uh, with, you know, when, when with their uh, recruiting situation. So it's just um, a lot of oversight and uh, you know, it's, it was a beautiful experience. Overall, we, we had an opportunity to graduate all of our student athletes that, that made it to their senior year we have some with master's degrees. Uh, we have two in the NBA, Colin Sexton with Cleveland. Dante Hall finished the year with, with the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, we have another kid that we recruited that played two years at Alabama, one for me and, and one for the, the new staff, Kyra Lewis, that's going to be going in the lottery uh, this year. So, And just all of the kids that even – told us no, that they didn't want to come to Alabama, that we had on campus that are now in the NBA uh, and still have some good relationships with some of those families. Uh, it, it, was, it was well worth it, but uh, it's, I, I love what I'm doing now. <laughs> well, you mentioned the word relationships a couple different times, and that's one thing that I always appreciated being around you for that short bit in Dallas. You mentioned Alabama. What was your relationship? And I know you got to go in a few minutes, but what was your relationship with Nick Saban? And and how how is he so successful? What is his secret? Yeah, he, we had a good relationship. We would probably meet every other week, and I embraced the fact that he had so much success. So there were times I would go and you know pick his brain and talk to him about uh, just the game of the game of life and sports and 
not necessarily football or basketball, but just having conversations about fatherhood and, and mentoring kids and different ways to communicate. I, I think the key to his success is, uh, you know, he's been able to recruit some really high-level kids that were not just high-level recruits, but they played at a high level uh, when they went to Alabama. And uh, they, they came through in some of the big games, and they were able to develop, and he was able to bring the best out of those kids. And those kids parlayed their success at Alabama into uh, uh, opportunities to get drafted in the NFL. And once that happened, it just became a cycle. And, you know, really good coaching staff, uh, the support of the administration, unbelievable fan base uh, that shows up every game. And uh, just, you know, at a school that's been a traditional uh, football power. Well, Coach, I appreciate the time. Uh, I'm, I'm thankful that we were able to reconnect. I know that as colleagues with CBS Sports Network, we're probably going to be on some Zoom calls or, or something down the road this year in regards to college basketball. And I look forward to watching some of your games. And who knows, if you need help prepping for a team, I've got you. And I'm, I'm pretty sure you've got my back if I need it as well. So yeah. thanks for joining. I appreciate it. And then thanks for having me. And for all of the folks, I know you have different levels of, you know, people that watch your, your podcast. And whether it's a student athlete, uh, uh, if you're married or single, working, unemployed, whatever your situation is, one of the things I want to just tell people is stay encouraged. Don't give up. Keep the faith. Uh, don't be uh, paralyzed by failure and don't be intoxicated by success. And I just want to say God bless everybody. Absolutely. Well, thanks, Avery. I appreciate the time and the tremendous stories and words of encouragement. Take care. Have a great day and uh, enjoy the rest of the week. All right. Thanks, Dan. The ISO with Dan Dickow and SB Live Sports brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network the number one podcast network for professionals. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.